Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. I'm curious if anybody, I might be the only one, um, ever lets things go too far in your head. <laughs> Jeff can relate. Sometimes something will happen, a situation will arise, a uh, uh, an event will happen or something will be kind of on the horizon. I know a, a hard conversation needs to be had or, or, you know, if I was a business guy, you know, some meeting is gonna take place, some big thing is gonna happen. And before you get to the meeting, before you get to the conversation, before you get to the fill in the blank, you have created alternate universes inside of your brain. Ones in which things go horribly wrong fast. Ideas start to unravel and, and just your words start to offend and hurt. And, and by the time at one point you're gonna talk to everybody about X, Y, and Z, the next thing you know, you're running through a jungle and your staff's trying to kill you. Like, it's just overwhelming. And it's probably because I've watched too much John Wick, but we all know what it's like to allow ourselves to just get unraveled by our thinking, to get spun up and freaked out. And you know, the funny thing is, is it's usually never as bad as we anticipate it to be. I can tell you, I've never had my staff try to hunt me after a hard conversation. Like that's never, ever happened. And the truth is, 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 is we get in a space where we start to think, this is gonna happen, they're gonna react like this. And we start to play God like we know everything and exactly how everyone's gonna respond to our whatever. And, and it just, you know, this is gonna happen and they're gonna say no and then this is gonna happen and I'm gonna be homeless. Like it just goes way too far, way too fast with, with, with usually a complete delusion. But the time we waste worrying, the time we waste frantically creating these alternate universes is not recoverable. It's not like we can go back in time and go, you know what, instead of going out and throwing ball with my kids, I sat in there and I worried myself to a tizzy. I can't get that one back. And so instead of just embracing it, like, well, that's just the way we are, we're human, I'm suggesting there's a better way. And I need it as bad as anyone in this room. His name is Jehovah Shalom. God of peace. You see, we've been in this journey where we've been looking at, at, at the greatness of our God by exploring his names in all the scriptures. And each week it's just fascinating to me how he's like showing me how much I need this aspect of him in my life. We, we've looked at him being Lord and I am and, and so much more. It's so, such a huge, overwhelming name. And, and we've looked at Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah Nisi. And we've looked at how each of these, they're not separate. It's not like God is a God of like multiple personalities. He's just so big, we can't grab him all at once. And so when we start to explore this one and this facet and this, 
we start to look at him from different angles and understand, wow, this is a great and awesome king we have. And so this idea of the God of peace is so, it's so wild to me how God's so near. I mean, think about this. Y'all, in a study, preparing, you know, and, 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 and seeking God's will and looking for the scriptures and understanding, we started down a journey weeks, and this, this really takes place months ago. All of a sudden, the names of God start laying out and we start to go, this is the pathway. I sent it to Patty weeks ago. This is nine weeks for sure that we have of names of God. And it just so happens that on the date that represents terror and chaos in America, 9-11, God says that day I'll have you teach on my name being the God of peace. That's, I didn't plan that. Now that I say it out loud, I wish I had. But the God of peace, God is peace. He's not a God of peace, he is peace. And shalom is, I just, can we get, we need to have a quick conversation about peace. I get really tired of people talking about peace in a way that's just mamby-pamby-wamby. It's like, peace doesn't mean, it doesn't equal calm, quiet, and subdued all the time. Peace doesn't equal that I need to be a doormat to allow all kinds of satanic activity to invade my life in the name of peace. God is the God of peace so that means peace can't mean what the American ideal, ideology makes it mean. I have to understand what does the scripture mean about peace? Because peace doesn't mean simply that you know, we're just gonna go with the flow and not ruffle feathers and not hurt feelings because it's all about your feelings. No, it's not. The, 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 the truth is, is peace has way more to do with bringing order out of disorder. And that takes effort, work, shock to the system. You know, when, when things are going wild in the house, I don't need to walk into the middle of the house and go, kids, everybody be quiet. Peace. It usually takes a roar like a lion to scare them into straightness. So peace doesn't always mean or get accomplished by some super subdued, woe is me, I'm, no. God is not a God of peace, meaning that we just need to, you know, he's, he's gonna just let anything go because he wants to be a peacemaker. Sometimes a peacemaker comes through a fight. So I want today to look at what it means. Where does it come from? Where's the origin of, of Jehovah Shalom? What does it mean that God is a God of peace? I think it's important to start by saying this, that he works always in chaos, this is all the way from the beginning. Genesis chapter one, verses one and two, it says, in the beginning, like this is the very beginning of the book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Without form and void, 
is also known as chaos. There were everything going everywhere, all over. It was just, come to my house, you'll learn about this. Chaos. Construction, that's, no, that's not that. That's Genesis 1. It's all over the place. Adam, everything, boom, 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 going wild. Not like Adam, but like Adams, you know? So everything's going crazy. Everything's all over, everything. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the, the deep in preparation to bring order from the chaos, to reach right into all the, the chaotic nature, to reach into the middle of all that's going on and say, I'm gonna bring creation. I'm gonna bring form. I'm gonna bring life. Why am I spinning so much today? Out of chaos. God is in the business of bringing order, alignment, and life out of that which is disordered, broken, and dead. In Mark chapter four, verse 39, a New Testament example, then he arose, that's Jesus, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I should have put this whole text in there, but this story comes from a moment where they're out on the water with the disciples. He, Jesus, it says is in the boat sleeping, and I love the detail of the scripture, on a pillow. As if to say this wasn't just a, a road trip nap where he nodded off real quick. He intentionally laid his head down on a pillow and there was a, a nap going down. This is like, a, you know, could have been some drool coming out. Like this was sleeping. And he's in there sleeping when all of a sudden a, a, a tempest arose, a, a storm blows up, chaos ensues. Now these are professional fishermen. You see, when I go down to, to Florida and I'll go out on the boat and the, you know, it waves like this, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And the guy's like, oh man, no big deal. You know, like pro fishermen are not scared by big waves. What kind of storm was this? That they were all convinced they were going to die was that they knew the king of glory was sleeping in the boat. That should have told them like, we're okay. The creator of heaven and earth is here and he's napping. We shouldn't be afraid. But chaos, disorder, not peace, opposite of peace, all the franticness of life, terror that, 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 that their life was gonna be lost, they wake him up and he stands up and he rebukes the storm and then he rebukes the boys. He says, peace, be still. He silences the storm and, and, and then he rebukes him saying, hey, where's your faith? Does anybody feel like the newscast is an intense storm and might kill us someday? And yet Jesus is sleeping on a pillow. He gets woken up not by the storm, but by his guise. And in a fail swoop, he brings peace, order out of the chaos. It's been said in regards to this story that Jesus showed us how much peace he had by sleeping in a storm because sleep is the ultimate vulnerability, right? 
That's why we lock our house down tight. You got the camera systems, you know, rings on every door. You got the big lights outside, you know, our, our big locks. Like we have, our house is secure. Why? Because you're never more vulnerable than when you're sleeping. And yet Jesus decides to sleep in the middle of a chaotic storm. And I heard it said like this, you'll never silence a storm you can't sleep through. See, if it's got you up in arms and terrified, you may not be walking in his peace. Jesus was, and he showed us that day. So we know that he works. We know that he works in the middle of chaos. We know he, he brings order out of chaos. But today I wanna look at the story where Jehovah Shalom comes from and it's, it's from the story, kind of the origin story of a guy named Gideon, a, a great man of the scripture. But I want you to understand really quick where we're headed and we're gonna jump really quick through Judges. The book of Judges is probably in the beginning where you've skipped over quite a bit. Okay. It's coming on the heels of the people of God and the Israelites losing their leader, Joshua. And like normal people, when the leader of, 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 of the Israelites, Joshua, dies, when he goes away, when he's, when he's out of the picture, chaos ensues. Craziness starts to happen. They start to rebel. They start to question. They start to wonder. The same thing happened back when Moses was up you know, receiving the Ten Commandments. He comes back down. He's like, what happened? Like, when the leader leaves, the people went crazy. And so that's happening. Joshua is out of the picture. And all of a sudden, the people of God start, start to rebel. They start to live out of the ways of God. And they start to, 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 to do all kinds of evil in the sight of God. And there's this cycle that happens in the book of Judges where they start, I think it happens about seven times, but they start to go crazy, they sin, God turns them over to an oppressor, they cry out to God, God raises up a leader, also known as a judge, and they, he leads the people back into freedom. And this is a cyclical thing that happens over and over again in the book of Judges. We're jumping into chapter six, this is the story of Gideon, the judge being raised up, out of the rebellion of the people of God, okay? Are we all clear on context here? Judges chapter six, verses one, two through 10 say this. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. We talked about that. So the Lord delivered them to the hands of Midian for seven years. Seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made themselves dens, the caves and strongholds which are up in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, whenever they had planted, Midianites would come up from the south and, and also Amalekites, I had that trouble with that word last week, and the people of the east would come up against them. And then they would, uh, would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox or donkey. And they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. 
Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land and destroy it. And so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who have oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their lands. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. You see, the first thing we need to see is that in the middle of chaos, in the middle of disorder, God is still willing to be there. He's still willing to show up, even when it's our fault. Even when, I mean, you know, self-inflicted wound is like a thing, right? You know, sometimes stuff happens to you, other times stuff happens because of you. God is not differentiating. God is saying, hey, I'm willing to work with you even if you caused the crazy. Even if you created the chaos, I'm willing to get involved there. I'm willing to step into that. And we have a fever-pitched, anxiety-filled, fearful situation on our hands. The Midianites are huge, rough, tough, savage people. And they have bullied Israel for seven years. You have this experience where basically what's happening is, is Israel is this, they, they're, in, they're in this land, they're doing great, they have the blessing of God, they're, they're, their harvest is plentiful, they have all the food and resources, they're accruing all this, and once a year, all these savages would show up and, and they would be in such numbers, they were like the locust of the field, they would just overwhelm, kind of blot out the sun on Israel and there were so many people, they would, the camels and all, they would destroy the, the plots of land. They would just, you know, all the, I mean, the animals, the people, it was just, it was devastating. They would steal all Israel, the Israelite uh, people's things, their, their, their food, their animals, their harvest and they would take it back to their land, leaving Israel with nothing. And so the people of Israel, after years of this happening, knew that they had to fortify that. So they built cities up in mountains, not cities. They built communities in these mountains, basically caves, where they once had huge threshing floors in the open air so the wind could blow. They're now, you're gonna find Gideon threshing wheat in a, in a wine press underground. I mean, this is, this is a bad situation. And they've been imprisoned by barbarians. If there's ever a need for peace, I mean, we can think about our life and we can think about what's going on in our world and it's crazy. But imagine being under the oppressive hand for seven years of people stealing, killing, destroying, not leaving you anything to live and to, 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 to exist with, just taking everything you had. Finally, they go, enough is enough. God, we've messed up. Help us. It's like America needs to turn back and say, 
God, we've messed up. Help us. And in the midst of these kind of situation, God chooses the unlikely characters. In Judges 6, 11 and 22, we're gonna pause a few times through it, but, but here's what it says. It starts by this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth tree, which is in Oprah. Think about this. Fever-pitched anxiety. Everybody's terrified. Everybody's worked up. Everybody's frantic. Nobody knows what's gonna happen next. Nobody can trust anybody. Everybody's just taking whatever they can get and, and, and everything's moving fast and frantic and intense. And the angel of the Lord shows up and says, I'm gonna lay under a terebinth tree. I just love that. Because it says that God will get involved, but he's not going to go there. He's not gonna meet you with his franticness. He's gonna meet you under a tree and you're gonna have to slow down enough to come see him. You see, there's something beautiful about that. There's something to, 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 uh, to calm everyone down, to go, listen. You know, they say if you're on a ship, the only time you need to be worried is if the captain is worried. If we serve a God that, that is willing to sit under a tree, surely we can calm down long enough to sit by him under the tree. We don't have to freak out and be afraid. Oh God, you're just sitting there. What are you doing? You know, it's, it's the Mary Martha moment, right? One's gonna go serve in the house. The other's just gonna lay at his feet. And he says, this is the one who has done well. And so we see that the angel of the Lord comes and sits under the terebinth tree. And it goes on, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite. While his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> I love, you know, you expect to, if this is a movie, you expect it to pan over and you see this like big guy, like, oh, I'm a mighty warrior, ready to fight. And Gideon says back, oh my Lord, if Lord is with us, then how has all this happened? He starts complaining to the angel of God who just called him a mighty man of valor. Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has he, has he allowed this to happen? Where are all his miracles of our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Imagine this moment. This kid has heard nothing but stories of, of this incredible God, a, a God that, that, that has, has taken people through the Red Sea, that, 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 that parted back the sea, uh, the rivers again, that had, had done all sorts of miracles, plagues, all sorts of insane things. And he's sitting under a wine press threshing and working, trying to get some food for his family. And the angel of the Lord shows up and goes, you're a mighty man of valor. And he's like, get to work. What do you mean God's with me? If he was with me, how would he let this happen to me? Does, that, does anybody feel like that? If God was really with me, why would he let all this crazy stuff happen? If God was really with me, why would, he, why would he let this happen to my family? Why would he let this scenario happen to play out at work the way it did? Why, aren't he, why is he letting the Midianites 
destroy and ravish us. Why? And it's so important to catch here that sometimes God is with you even when you don't feel like it. Somewhere along the way, we've missed it. Comfort doesn't equal God's presence. (laughs) This side of eternity, we need to remember we're in a broken world and the outward circumstances of our life don't repel God's presence. And Gideon had to wrestle with this. He had to recognize something that, that his outward circumstances, his, his, his chaos and disorder, the, the wildness that was happening in his life wasn't representative. It wasn't teaching him. It wasn't revealing to him that God had abandoned him. God was with Gideon in the middle of Gideon's pain and suffering. And God is with you in the middle of your pain and your suffering. In the middle of your hardest days, on the days that you feel the most oppressed, the most beat up, the most destroyed, the most forsaken, God is there. And there is this desperate need that we need to understand that his sacrifice for our eternity wasn't so we could just live a comfortable Christian life. It wasn't. And that's hard to say when we live a pretty comfortable Christian life. Check out this jacket. (laughs) What are we gonna do in our hard days? How are we gonna respond? When the angel of God shows up in your life, are you going to, I've gotta imagine Gideon wants this one back, right? And he's gotta be going like, God, you had to put it in the book. (laughs) Think about how many conversations aren't in the book and like, you had to put this one in there? Where I rebuke the angel of God for calling me a vow, a mighty warrior? But, But that's where he was, it's, It's what happens, it's what happens when when life is happening, we get a little crazy. And I think it gives us some license here to go, yeah, I feel that sometimes. You know, when days get so tough, when when weeks, like man, this week has been a hard week, I know it's been a hard week for a lot of people. When when this week happens, when weeks like this happen, when things like 9-11 happen, We can wonder, God, where are you? What do you mean you're with us? You're for us, you'll never forsake us. It sure feels like forsaken. Gideon said it, he's saying it right here. But the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Look at what's happening all around me. But what happens next? Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? See, God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't go, you doubt me? I can't believe you doubt me and you're, I just called you a mighty warrior. I'm pulling back all my blessing. He looks right past his doubt and he gives him a call. He looks right past his fear. He looks right past his worry. He looks right past his unfitness and he says, go in this might of yours. 
the thing that is calling you to question me and my goodness is that which I'll use to save Israel and set my people free. So he said to him, he's doubling down here. Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? This is the guy you're like, okay, I can't, I can't. Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. You know, I don't know how he figured that out. It was probably life circumstance. I doubt they had like an arm wrestling competition where grandma beat him and he's like, see? I'm the weakest here. But doesn't it give you hope that God uses the least to set free the most? I mean, that's my story. Y'all, I, I don't know if you knew this. I know the jacket might throw you off. I'm like a mess. And I certainly have been a mess. My life, like if you looked at the story of my life, there was never like a moment like, when he was a child, we all knew he would lead the church one day. I was voted, my senior superlative was most likely to be the same in 20 years. That's written down on paper. That was real. Everybody went like, he's gonna be great athlete. He's a great, the spiritual leader, class. He's not ever gonna change. But God. And I say all that to say, if God's willing to use Gideon, even when Gideon doubts, even when Gideon's afraid, even when Gideon can't see past the thing that's like, this is God, like shut up and move on. He says, hey, I'm gonna use you. And he goes, you can't use me. God's forsaken me. No, buddy, I'm gonna use you. Just that strength right there, I got you. And he's like, really, me? That's when I go like, no, not you, I'm out. But God goes, I will. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use you in this. Doubt-filled, afraid, and overwhelmed as anyone else? Come on. And God's goodness still uses him and puts a mighty call on, the, on his life. I can't believe I wrote come on right there. I didn't even read it yet. That's hilarious. God sees what we can't and is in the business of using the most unlikely characters in his story. In church, what you think makes you a miss, the part of your story that makes you feel disqualified might be the very weakness his strength is looking for to be shown through. And if he can use the weakest man from the weakest clan, if he's willing to use me, I promise you he can do anything through you. And it goes on, and the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that, that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from me here. I pray until I come to you and bring you out an offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread and ephah of flour and the meat he put in a basket and the broth on the pot and brought them out to him. And under the terebinth tree, where God sat down, where the, where the, where the angel of the Lord sat, he presented it to him. 
And the angel of God said, take this meat and unleavened bread and lay them on the rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and a fire arose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. (laughs) Okay. Alas, O Lord God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The question you have to ask is what do you need to see in order to be used by God? What are you looking for? What are you waiting for? What's the thing that you're going, oh, I just gotta, if he'll finally do this, like I'm taped, this doesn't show the long suffering of God, I don't know what does. The audacity to go, God's not even with me. Yes, he is. Well, he couldn't use me. Yes, he will. Well, if you're really real, show me a miracle. And he does. He, he lights a rock on fire to cook breakfast. Like, that's wild. And, 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 and I'm not telling you you need to go out here and go put your food on some rocks and wait for it to cook. I'm telling you, what do you need to see? And you need to start talking to God about it. You need to start asking him, hey, show him. Gideon is the, you know, you've heard of Gideon's fleece. He's the, he is the guy when it comes to like, God, show me what you want to do here. And he's like, here, this. And he's like, show me again. And again, and again. And I'm just telling you, God's is big enough for that. God's okay with that. Like sometimes you need to just be quiet and do it. Try not to say shut up there. We need to be quiet and do what he says, but other times he affords us the freedom, the flexibility, the, the courage to say, God, I'm gonna need another one. I'm gonna need you to show me one more time. I'm just so, I could get this wrong so easy, I need you to show me. And he's willing to do that. And then the final thing I wanna say is that when, when God's peace shows up, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of disorder, when he elects and uses somebody we never thought he would, that his peace brings clarity. You see, Judges chapter six, verse 24, ends like this. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord. And called it Jehovah Shalom. So we find Jehovah Shalom at this place of of God calling a man to do an unlikely thing. It's not like Gideon got this word, that Gideon got this, received this revelation, and All of a sudden, God kicked the people out of the land and miraculously made everything calm down. He elected a man of war to go out and defeat the enemy. And that was his peace. So I would encourage us to go, man, when we find ourselves looking at God as being a God of peace, it could be that he wants to use you to fight for that which will bring peace 
But it doesn't mean that he's gonna supernaturally spread out the circumstances in such a way where we can all just sit around and sing and that's not how it works here. And he knew exactly what he had been called to do and what he needed to do from there. Gideon goes on and, and we see a, 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 a legacy built from Gideon from this moment, from this origin story. And he says to him, Gideon, you will not die. When I first read that, I thought it meant at the hands of the Midianites. That's not what that means. It was very known that if you went into God's presence, back then, this is pre the veil torn, you're in the presence of God, you will die. He realized when the fire took up off out of that rock, oh dear God, I'm in the presence of God, now I'm gonna go to the gates of heaven. Like it was just a known thing. He believed, he, and all of a sudden he went, alas, oh God, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. That's a terrifying moment for a human that lives in Old Testament theology because the presence of God equaled death to anyone. No one had seen it. Even Moses had to hide his face in the cleft of a rock as the presence of God went by. It was a terrifying moment. They, he knew that was gonna kill him. And yet Gideon got to stand in the presence of God's power and presence and see it face to face. And God said, listen, son, you're not gonna die. Clarity. I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna call you, I'm gonna do something in you and through you to deliver my people, to fight for freedom, to fight for peace. It's gonna take hard times. You're gonna have to come with me. You're gonna have to do this. But don't worry, right now you're not gonna die. I've got a bigger call on your life and purpose. So Gideon built an altar there and said, God is the God of peace. He built an altar to respond to what God had done, to respond to the call of God on his life and to recognize that this is a call he has and that God has shown him exactly what he needed to. And so church, my encouragement as I go way over time today is that we would recognize God as a God of peace. But peace doesn't equal a lack of a fight. It doesn't equal that God's just gonna show up and make everything all right. It means that he's gonna call the unlikely, that he's gonna show us his glory, and that he's gonna use us to deliver people to freedom, to experience life forever. And so as we go out of this place into the chaos and the craziness of my house, your house, our house, houses, we don't have one house, that'd be weird. My encouragement is that we go into our spaces going, God, where are you? Show me what you want me to do. Show me how to... to to, to, to step into your peace. Show me what it looks like to, to experience your peace. And if you don't feel like he's there, it's okay to admit it and invite him into it to show you who he is and to show you what he's like so you might experience Jehovah Shalom. 
the peace of God forever. Amen, church? Amen and amen. Let's pray together and then we'll get out of here. Please don't hurt each other in the parking lot. Jesus, we love you. And we ask God that you would come and be with us. That we might sit under a tree with you this week and slow down long enough to ask hard questions, to to think about who you are and to trust in you. That you're willing to use people like us, Gideon, to do great things in your kingdom, to change the life of your people. We honor you and we love you and we ask that you would be with us, O Prince of Peace, as we go this week. For it's in your name we pray. Amen? Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.